Welcome back to Gen Zen, a place where we discuss everything spirituality and self-development as we navigate life as Gen Zs together. Have you ever found self-love to be a bit fluffy? Something intangible? Well, me too. And that's what inspired this week's episode. Let's defluff self-love and get tangible about what it actually means to practice self-love, both in the physical body and our mind. This week, I'm joined by the ray of sunshine that is Sophie French. She's a women's coach and creative mentor who supports women to find their soul gifts and share them with the world. She's also an advocate of self-love. And in this episode, that's exactly what we discuss. Sophie gets vulnerable and shares her personal journey in this department, how her relationship to herself was so severely damaged by her adolescent experiences that she began mentally self-destructing and how she managed to reclaim and redefine her damaged self-esteem and confidence to a place where she feels completely in tune, connected to, trusting and loving of her body and mind. And she also shares her tips and tools for how you can practice better self-love in your day-to-day life. This episode is for anyone who is ready to reclaim their identity and nurture arguably the most important relationship we have in our lives, the one with ourselves. I really hope you enjoy this one. I loved recording it. And Sophie is just such a gorgeous soul and I'm so happy that I got to sit down with her for her to share all her wisdom with you. Hello, so welcome back everyone. Welcome back to a new episode. Today I'm joined, as you know, with the glorious Sophie French. She is here to impart all her wisdom and juiciness and I'm so excited to be having her on the podcast. So welcome Sophie. Thank you so much, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so excited for all the juice. Me too. Me too. We're going to chat all about self-love and your journey and trusting the universe. Some of my favourite topics. I just can't wait. So I'd love to ask you, just to get started, what does spirituality mean to you? Always starting with the the deeper meaningfuls here. Yes. Perfect. Yes, we're going straight in. Spirituality means to me a sense of belief in something greater than me, something that is, and something greater than all of us, that is guiding us all, that is perfectly unique for each of our unique journeys, and that is I see spirituality as a tool for self-knowing, for self-connection, for like a deeper sense of self-realization. Yeah. I love that. That's beautifully put. Yeah, it's a way of knowing our true selves, isn't it? And connecting Mm. to something greater than us. Mm -hmm. And when did you kind of uh, arrive at spirituality or, or find find it in your journey? Mm, yes, I had no idea about it to the point that when I was like 17, my mum would go to psychic mediums all the time and I would be, bless her heart, I would be the person that's like, what a load of rubbish, I don't know what you're doing. Um, Yeah, she was just like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay, we'll see. And then a few years later, I decided to leave my job in PR to travel to Australia for a year. 
And it was then that I discovered spirituality because I discovered that I just thought moving to Australia would um, be the thing that would solve all the problems in my life. It would solve me feeling so anxious. It would solve me worrying about this and and beating myself up about so many things. I thought if I just live in a hot place by the sea, then it's problem solved. Um, and I realized that no matter how far you run, you cannot escape yourself. And so it was that, that I was like, oh, okay, wherever I go, there I am. I'm going to have to do some actually inner digging here. And so I really took that time out of my usual environment that I'd been in my whole life. It opened my eyes to a whole new world and a whole different path, different ways that people lived and believed in. And it really woke me up. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't have to live in the way that I have been conditioned to, which I had no idea about. Um, and that's when I actually discovered NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, that I know you um, are very, very familiar with too. Yes. And that was then the next kind of awakening into this whole new world of um, that we can be in control of our destinies, that we can seek out different things. Um, so that was really the path. And that was when I was like 24, 25. Yeah. Mm. So it was when you kind of discovered that actually, I, I think that's so classic, isn't it? That you take yourself everywhere. It's a realization that yeah. people are often often have. It's like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't run from my problems. My problems won't be solved by mm. changing my external because yeah. whatever, even wherever I go, I'm always gonna be there with myself. I yeah. had such a similar experience when I was traveling mm -hmm. and I thought no one can be sad when they're traveling. It's just impossible. Right. I just didn't think that was a thing. Yeah. I thought that was just the epitome of what everyone wanted to do. And, and I remember being sat on a beach thinking, I'm so lonely and this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Why am I so lonely? I should be happy. Mm -hmm. Well, no, because it doesn't matter what's going on outside. It, it's all about what's going on inside. Yeah. And what was, I, I'm really curious, what were, what for you was the very first thing? Like, was it a certain book or uh, was it NLP? What kind of, yeah, catapulted that, uh, that journey, that inner work for you? Mm, great question. Yeah, so while I was in Australia, I was working as a freelance copywriter. So I was writing for marketing materials for, um, different coaches and companies. And I started working with this one lady who had been through the most tragic of experiences over the years. And she'd started telling me about how NLP had changed her life. And she was just so, um, so spoke so highly of it, that it was her journey that was really this catalyst for me because I was like, whoa, if I'm just experiencing some anxiety and feeling pretty lost in life and having some questions, if NLP could help her with the journey and the tragedy that she's experienced, it could definitely sort me out with some things that are going on within. 
And so that was really this catalyst of, wow, what's possible with this tool, with this teaching? Um, yeah, that was really, yeah. really the first thing. And then if I think of a book, the, the thing that's just come up is a book that I then went to a talk while in Australia and there was a guy called Matthew Michalowicz and he's written a book called Life in Half a Second. And I read that book and he talks about how he he surveyed hundreds of people about what they would do with their lives if they only had one year to live. And they all began to share about these dreams and these visions and how they'd spend more time with their family and do all these things and travel to these places. And he explores within the book, why do we wait until death is imminent to live the life that we truly want to live? And, oh yeah, I can feel it like tingling within me now. It's still very much there all these years later. It was absolutely profound and it really made me think and it really shifted things for me that I was like, yeah, you're right. Why is that a thing? And how do I change that for myself and then for other people? Mm. I've never heard of that book before. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really it's, it's such a such a big question isn't it like why why do we wait like because mm-hmm. people have all these big dreams and goals but we we put them off or we might have them on our vision board but we're not actually taking the action to mm-hmm. to get there like do you kind of have any inclination as to why pe- why we do that why as humans do we wait mm-hmm. it, <laughs> until death is imminent to go and chase what we really really want mm-hmm. yeah I generally just feel that fear is the biggest thing in the way. Our conditioning and our fears can be so great, particularly if we don't look to explore them. And therefore, what is the main thing that is greater than our fear? Well, a fear of death and a fear of therefore not living. So if something that scary has to come in to propel us, of like, that's actually scarier than this fear. Without mm. that, it's kind of like, this fear is so big and it's the biggest thing. Um, so I would, yeah, I would hazard that that's generally why we're not scared enough of um, of what might happen if we don't do the things. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and also, I guess, when, when you're thinking about it on a neurological and, and biological level, our brain is doing everything it can to keep us safe, to keep us comfortable in what we know because that's how we survive. And so to go against that and to put ourselves out there is is so terrifying that yeah yeah, I guess you're right it causes a bigger fear (laughs) to come along to uh yeah propel us into action out of that yeah so true and actually yeah exactly as you say neurologically and evolutionary too we are thinking that by follow by like listening to the fear we are staying safe and ultimately surviving and ultimately avoiding death so by the time that death is facing us anyway it's kind of like oh wait a minute I'm both ends I'm trying to avoid this thing so I might as well therefore do the things that I want to do yeah Mm. and so you've gone on quite an incredible journey in terms of like you know 
healing journey, finding yourself and now coaching others and being such a pioneer in this self-love space, which is so needed right now. So I want to talk a little bit about your journey and sort of what significance, significant events in your life kind of led you to where you are now. And because you, you speak about how you had, you know, anxiety and a lot of fear and went on this self-love journey. So where were you at the start of this? Mm. Yes, thank you for asking. It's actually something, a place that I haven't kind of touched or spoken to for a really long time. So I can already feel the like, oh, wow, to, to, to remember where I was before um, feels like oh, confronting. Um, but I was in a really bad way of self-loathing, self-hate. I would just, I was just so cruel to myself, like awful in terms of bullying myself. My thoughts were just nasty. I had not much good to say about myself. Looking in the mirror was horrible. I would avoid it at all costs. I would go to bed like squeezing my poor body with rage because I just hated it. I would hurt myself. Yeah, I'm like, wow, it sounds really intense, babes. Um, yeah, was very um, controlling around food, around my image, would treat my body like a machine to either try and be super skinny or um yeah to do whatever it took for to find the thing that I thought was going to make me happy and was and that I thought was going to make me feel great exploring all these things only to find like nope no matter how thin I get or how much I dye my hair or how much fake tan I wear I feel rubbish inside and that, yeah, I was just in this loop of like, oh my gosh, I might feel like this forever. Um, mm. Yeah, and then living this life of going out a lot, drinking a lot, dabbling with drugs, just general chaos. Um, and Do you think those things were kind of a, a form of escape in that way yes 100% I remember thinking when I was like I remember one night being on the dance floor just being so drunk and like feeling this beat and this loud music and feeling like oh finally like for a moment I don't have to hear these thoughts in my head for a moment mm -hmm. I can forget that all of this stuff exists and I can just be present for a minute before they all come tumbling back. Um, mm. And that was a very significant time of like, well, I can't be out dancing and drinking and having loud music on forever. There's gotta be another way to find some peace. Yeah, that inner mm. peace. I think it's something so many people can relate to. Really, yeah. that just, I mean, a bit like we were touching on earlier, like you take yourself everywhere and if and if your home, your physical body is not an enjoyable place for you to be, it's it's just completely consuming, all yeah. consuming. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to honor you for sharing that because Thank yeah, you. it's real stuff, isn't it? And 
And even though it's it's all it's it's all our thoughts, it's all our mind c- constructing this. When you're going through it, it feels so real, oh, so yeah. real. Yes, and it's so, so limiting and constricting, and like you say, all consuming. Um, yeah, mm. incredible. It's really amazing to even touch on that part, uh, that version of me. I don't recognize her now, but I know her very. I know her very well. So, um, wow. Yeah, wow. Thank you for asking and <laughs> yeah. holding that while I share. <laughs> no, that's that's what we're all about here is is getting mm. vulnerable and, and mm. sharing and opening up. So thank you for that. And so what? where do you think that sort of came from? Do you think that that was sort of your, your default or do you think there were things in your life that, that triggered that from your external circumstances? Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea sort of where, where those beliefs about yourself uh, came from, originated? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, well, growing up as a ginger in the UK was a war. Um, I just remember from a very, very young age being very teased, ridiculed, feeling ugly, seeing so much of evidence around me that I was weird There were, and I always thought there was something wrong with me. I remember writing in a diary like, why does it have to be me with this stupid hair and just being so different from everyone? Um, I felt... I just remember feeling ugly and having this reflected in like being teased. I was also like very loud and performing and I loved acting and singing. And I I found that that was sometimes just knocked, well, not sometimes, a lot just knocked down by school, by bullies who were a bit like, who is she and why is she so in my face um, by yeah, the media, teachers, family, things at home of just like, all right, so that's enough. Um, that bit by bit, it just really, really knocked me. Um, and I carried that for such a long time and without an outlet with which to express that or feel that or share that, it in I internalised it as well, what's the easiest way to stay safe from other people attacking me? I'll just attack myself and then I'll stay in this realm where no one else can hurt me more than I hurt myself. Um, Mm. So it definitely was this, yeah, real internalization of so much anger and, and I was, you know, also a fiery redhead. So I had the anger in me but it was never okay to let it out. And I also thought like it was, I wasn't able to let it out. I didn't know I might kill someone if I let all this rage out. So that was very suppressed too. And so it was just all so internalized in everything, um, which really manifested in this self attacking essentially. Mm. And I think also like, again, thank you so much for sharing because it's something that so many can relate to. But mm. I think when we're, you know, when we're children, we can be our fullest expressions and, and that's sort of celebrated when we're really young. And yeah. then 
as we sort of grow up and sort of the ages, I think it's seven to 14, we kind of are modeling off other people and, and finding out our place in the world. And that's when it all becomes about conforming and, and kind of diluting yourself to fit into what society is deeming as, as acceptable and what's going to get you the most likes. And for anyone who hasn't watched the, my NLP episode with Nick, definitely watch that because it explains what NLP is in, in detail, but going back to the NLP buckets are emotional needs. It's Mm. like, we, we just want to feel significant. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's really the, the need that most sort of teenagers are trying to meet, isn't it? It's how can I feel significant and important and be accepted? Mm -hmm. And if I, you know, if doing all these out there things isn't going to get me that, then, okay, well, I'll, I'll fit into their box then. Yes. I, you know, but that that creates so much internal resentment and rage and that's got to come out at some point. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It? Yeah, it always like leaks out in some form of way somehow. Mm. Yeah. So what changed for you? Mm. What changed? How were you able to... Or I guess maybe because we've touched on the start of your journey in spirituality, but what mm. was what was the journey into self love and mm. really starting to accept and celebrate your whole self mm. rather than attacking you? Yes. Can you pinpoint particular moments? Mm. I definitely my NLP training. I remember having this moment right at the end of the week and um Jess our amazing trainer was like doing this visualization and I was bawling my eyes out like snot crying bless her she had to like give me all the tissues and be like okay and I was just bawling I had this profound breakthrough and realization that oh my goodness all of this stuff that I've been believing about myself does not need to be true and it is dictating my entire existence and wow it doesn't need to there's this tool like seeing this evidence of things that had changed within me just within a week was all that I needed to be like whoa you guys did you know we do not need to live with this rubbish um, and it was really, really that. And then I went on this absolute quest to do that, to just dig deep into like, what else is in there that I've been believing that isn't true, but has been dictating my life. Um, so I, I just went on a real mission for that. And that was mostly about changing my brain. It was sort of that to begin with, which was for about five years. And then when I found myself living in Bali accidentally a couple of years ago, um, going on a two week holiday and then ending up staying for two and a half years. I, <laughs> the best, such, I mean, what yeah, an incredible journey. <laughs> I know, the best, the very best. Um, that was a real, that was a next layer deeper of like acceptance for my 
body. It was just this initiation into like, hey, you're living in this hot country. There's nowhere to hide. There are beautiful Russian Russian models surrounding you all the time. Um, so are you going to take a look now at like what's here? And that was like, re and that was the next level of my journey into meeting myself and really meeting those places where, yeah, that were completely held in the body, in my body and my vision of my body. And that I just feel transformed, every transformed everything because this information that I knew and had been learning dropped into the body and I was physically and emotionally um, experiencing it now. Um, mm. And that was really, really powerful. Yeah, I'd actually written down a question about sort of the differences between self-love kind of in the mind and the body because mm. they're kind of different things. I think part of the journey, and it sounds like what you've just touched on in you can change your belief system about, how, and I think to me, self-love is about how you speak to yourself and creating mm. a really lovely environment for you to be in and upgrading your beliefs about yourself and learning to speak with yourself with love. But there's also the, you know, the physical element of self-love and loving what you see in the mirror. And I wonder mm. if you can speak to your experience of like, the two different things and whether you see them as as, as separate and mm. yeah, your journey in mm. that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so for a very long time, I was only focused on the mind and was I was changing beliefs and reframing things and it was completely like, it was amazing because it was about getting into the unconscious, which is essentially what's stored in our body anyway. So it was, working and it was powerful um but it was when i started um using tapping combined with nlp and combined with the mind and getting in touch with my body and noticing what emotions were actually stored underneath and what was being held in in my body and learning that yes we're holding so much in our in our brains in our subconscious but also we're holding it in the cells of our bodies. We're holding this mean stuff we've said to ourselves. We're holding this tension, fear, guilt, shame. And when we physically can release that from the body, whether that's through emotion, movement, sounding, breath, not needing to consciously be aware of um, what's happening, but trusting that the body is going through its process that it has wisdom far beyond sometimes our minds can even comprehend or know. It was really that that was like, oh, this is, this feels like self-love for me because I was getting into communion with myself in a way that I hadn't before, wasn't ready to do before. Mm. Um, and yeah. Do you think those practices, so I wonder if first you could explain to people who might not have heard of it, what tapping is, because I know you, you mm. use it a lot and I also use it a lot, it's incredible, um, and how it can help us drop into our bodies and kind of release that trauma or tension or, yeah, in the body. Mm. I wonder if you could just speak a little bit to that. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so when we are tapping and using this emotional freedom technique tool, we are essentially tapping on the energy points and the meridian ends in our bodies, which stores all of the information. And we hold so much blockages in our system, like the beliefs that we have get stored in the body as feelings and emotions. And that then is dictating our behavior, our energy field, what we're resisting, what we're like allowing into our lives how we're showing up in the world. And so when we use tapping to to feel what the body is feeling, to not need to cognitively think about something, because when we're doing that, our unconscious mind doesn't really like it. It doesn't really want us to know what's in there. So sometimes when we're trying to consciously think about things and the beliefs, mm, we're not necessarily getting to that deeper level of what's going on in the unconscious but when we're tapping and we're trusting what does the body have to show me without needing to know what's there and we're curious and we let certain things reveal themselves through tapping that yeah can just help us to release things we didn't even know were there and it helps us be in communication with our unconscious mind and our unconscious mind can can tell us, oh, I'm worried about this. Oh, this is what it's really about. In a way mm. that our conscious mind isn't always willing to look at or doesn't even know sometimes. Mm. And yeah, that's such a beautiful explanation. Thank you for that. I think it's, mm. it's also about yeah dropping into our emotions because someone explained emotions to me in a really powerful way the other a while ago. They said emotions are like energy in motion literally Mm. it is energy in your body and I use tapping to actually call forward an emotion if if I'm feeling something and I don't know what it is it's like I can't think this away I just need to feel it (laughs) tapping is a great way to actually bring it forward in like a conscious way like okay I'm gonna feel into this I'm gonna let my body tell me what's going on and not have to consciously try and solve it with the mind yeah so definitely I love that I love that so mm. much yeah so many of my friends will come to me because they know I'm like a top crier I can cry on demand if I've got a feeling it's coming out and <laughs> me so too many my, yeah I love it but so many of my friends are like Soph I need to cry can you make me cry like they know something's present they know they need to get something out but they don't know what and I'm like yeah, time to tap. And so by them, t- it's, I often use that example. It's kind of this tool that you can use when you know something's off, you know something's icky. How do you just get to it without spending your whole day running away or avoiding it or trying to figure it out or talking about it to 10 different people? It's like, just go in, have a little tap, feel what's there. It will come up and show you very quickly. Um, and then it's done and released and you can carry on with your life and it's amazing yeah because I think people also think that they're going to start tapping and feel an emotion and then get stuck in it and just you're going to sort of fall in the pit and then not be able to get out and tapping really holds the space and at the end of a tapping session you will you will feel neutralized you won't still be carrying it because you've Mm. the 
the body can't doesn't want to store the energy it wants to release it that's what it's actually trying to do yeah and um i guess in that sense bringing it back to self-love um that's what we're kind of that's what we're kind of doing when we when we don't have self-love is we're storing mm. that energy in, in mm. the body all those mm. yucky feelings kind of get trapped and aren't yeah. being being released mm-hmm. yes exactly mm. and they build up and build up until they become how we identify or the constant that's going on within us mm. so yeah I totally yeah I love that so I also wanted to ask because there's a lot going on at the moment on social media that I'm seeing about people who say okay if you can't have self-love have like body neutrality just feel neutral towards Mm. your body and things and I just wondered sort of speaking from your experience like you've gone on a you say you now have radical self-love which I just love so much do you think that with these practices with NLP with EFT it's possible for anyone to reach self-love and not just uh, sort of neutrality towards themselves do you think that's accessible for people or yeah kind of your thoughts on that I guess yeah great question I love that yeah really interesting because I remember coming across body neutrality um maybe four or five years ago and and getting on board with it and being like yeah okay I am not my body my body doesn't define who I am as a person so I, so what I actually took that as, and I, and I don't know if this would resonate with people who are going for body neutrality, but I stopped pretending, I mean, I started pretending that I didn't have a body, essentially. I actually found myself detaching from my body and just pretending it doesn't exist. Like, I don't care what my body looks like. I'm so empowered and then there's so much more about me. But that meant I wasn't looking in the mirror. I wasn't caring about what I looked like. I was not feeling very um, happy still. Like I was like, "Mm, this isn't working either because I'm kind of going a bit numb and I'm not being honest and Mm. truthful about what's really here. I feel like um, controversial as it may be, I think body neutrality could be a form of just avoidance or distraction. I know it was for me, and that's speaking from personal experience. I did not know this. As far as I was concerned, I'm happy with my body and I'm good now because I ignore it. It's not a thing. And it wasn't until I went on a retreat in Bali. um, And at the end of that retreat, the our retreat host said, as a surprise, I've booked us all in for a naked photo shoot. You've got an hour to prepare and yeah, like decide whether you want to do it. You know, it's not compulsory, but ideally like go to your edge. And wow, I- Wow, that's confronting. Yeah, confronting. And I burst into tears. I was shaking. I was absolutely- terrified I was aghast at this idea like I wanted to be sick couldn't think of anything I'd want to do less and I was like I'm a 30 year old woman with a pretty rocking bod why oh why do I feel this amount of terror and 
shame and anguish about doing this. Like, hmm, something's off here. And it was that that was like right up in my face. Like, I I think there might still be stuff going on here with my relationship with my body. And that was the next stage of me being like, okay, I've tried ignoring it and pretending it's not there. Next level. Mm. Let's see what's really here. Let's be brave to go into what am I still holding on to? What am I ignoring? And I just think Mm. the truth really sets us free, as scary as it is to see. Yes, I completely agree. And my first question is, did you do the photo shoot? Hell yes, I did. Yes. And I loved it. And we had the photos back that day. And we sort of like, they were given out face down and we all got to look at them like together and I get, I cried again. And it was the first time I'd looked at myself and been like, wow, she's beautiful. Like I really saw myself and it was mm. so profound in a way that I didn't, I couldn't have known was go- it was going to be. Um, mm. So yeah, it was beautiful. And and that proves, doesn't it, that it is it, it is all in our minds because yeah. you know I remember I can remember looking at photos I look back at photos that at the time I hated I saw the photo mm. and went I hate that photo wow. and I remember that feeling so real and now I look back at it and go that's a gorgeous photo yeah. how did you not how did you not see that yeah. it's like you just get blinkers on and you just cannot see mm-hmm. the truth for what it mm-hmm. for what it is and it's yeah it can be really really difficult but I, I also really like what you shared about being so honest about body neutrality because I've kind of grappled with my feelings towards it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I, I agree with you. Sometimes it is it is us ignoring the problem sometimes. Obviously, mm-hmm. it, if it helps you and makes you feel better, then, you yeah. know, we're not. Yes. You know, it's whatever makes you, makes you feel good. But yes. I remember the turning point for me was when I wrote down all the things I'm truly grateful for, for my body that aren't about the way it looks. Cause I was like, I do have a body. This is my home. Mm-hmm. Let's, if I can't yet love what I see in the mirror, let's try thinking about the things that I'm truly grateful for that it does for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that it allows me to move with no pain and that like I can run, like that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and and like it keeps me healthy and all mm-hmm. these amazing things. I, I can see, you know, I can hear like all those things. It, they sound so trivial, but mm-hmm. actually there's so many things to be grateful for. And I, I wonder if you can share, do you have any sort of tips or practices that you do to actively practice self-love? Mm, yes. I do a really powerful practice called mirror mirror work, um, mm. which started off as a three minute experience of looking m- myself in the eyes in the mirror. That was a couple of years ago, which at the time was unheard of. Like, what am I doing? This is weird. Why would you look at yourself in the mirror? Um, and now it's a, I set a timer for 15 minutes. I sit and be present with myself in the mirror. And I I choose a different thing for the day. Sometimes it's like 
what's present and I talk it out. Sometimes I'm speaking in conversation with my body and I'm like, hi, how are we? How am I feeling today? What am I seeing when I'm looking at you? And I be with whatever's there. It has just been this profound, I feel like I keep saying this was profound and this was profound, but this is also a really profound practice for self-love and self-connection and being able to see what I see. At the beginning, it was really hard because I had to come physically face to face with what do I say to myself when I look in the mirror and it was not very nice. And that was Mm. hard and really sad to see. But even being with that sadness and starting to build this compassion for self and like, oh, that's not very nice. Even that recognition is just so powerful and changes things of like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna do that anymore. From a really embodied experience and not from a thinking place of, I'm not supposed to talk like that to myself. More like, oh gosh, there's a deeper part of me that's like, oh, I would never say that to anyone. Like, why am I doing this? Um, Mm. That has been huge, 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 huge. Um, And definitely tapping, feeling, you know, again, being in conversation with the body. What am I holding? What am I storing or feeling about this? Um, Recognizing it's probably a really, really old belief or feeling and just giving it space to be heard. Yeah. And and also what you said about talking, you know, talking to yourself and going, oh, like that's that's not very nice. I I love that and that's something that I've been trying to do more and more is is mm. detach the two voices in my head from the voice in my head and my sort of true true self and mm. and almost treating the thoughts sometimes a bit this is going to sound a bit strange but like like I'm a child and yeah. and go well that like that's not very that's not a very nice way to speak to yourself like mm-hmm. let's just let's just not say that if we haven't got anything nice to say let's just yeah. <laughs> not say those things yeah. and and almost you know really take it back to basics and yeah and show yourself the same care that you'd show like a child Definitely. <laughs> in a way yeah connecting to that inner child within you yeah I love that and that is so so beautiful and absolutely that is yeah, what I was the most, the thing that changed for me the most when I started doing that, you know, I remember waking up on the morning of running a workshop and inside I would be like, it's going to be rubbish and I'm so nervous. And then I'd beat myself up and be shouting at myself like, why are you feeling nervous? You should be really super confident or you're obviously not equipped to run this then. And I'd be like, hold up a minute. If a child came to me and said, I'm running this thing and I'm really nervous, would I ever say, why are you nervous, you idiot? You need to be confident. (laughs) I'd be like, babe, of course you're nervous. You've got a lot of people coming round and you want it to go well. That's okay. Oh, Mm. and that compassion, rather than adding on to the stuff, just treating myself like a child, it was so yes. lovely. I was like, wow, I've never spoken to myself with this kind of kindness. What a treat. Yeah, exactly. And I think in that way, you can almost stop the spiraling because I mm-hmm. so relate to you kind of 
yeah, it kind of spirals out of control quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm nervous. And what does that mean? Clearly, I'm not equipped to run this workshop. And right. and all of those things. Like maybe I'm not good enough to do this. Yeah. And, and actually, you can cut it off at the source pretty mm-hmm. quickly with just that compassion. Okay, well, it's okay that I'm feeling nervous. This is valid. This is the emotion. Yeah. And that's, let's honor that. And that's yes. actually... Yeah. yeah. So I realized we haven't actually touched on your on what we're kind of defining here as self-love. And mm-hmm. you talk about radical self-love. And I'd love mm-hmm. to ask you, what to you does it mean to have radical self-love? Mm. Yes. Love this question. I would say, yeah, I was really thinking about this before because for me for many years self-love did feel fluffy which I know that we touched on a little bit it felt like this concept I was like yeah love yourself yeah cool but like how what does it mean I don't understand and I resisted even talking about self-love because I thought yeah yeah good one it's just yeah it just felt fluffy and intangible and now I see and feel radical self-love as a deeper connection with myself, which means more trust in myself, which means more trust, therefore, in life and in, like, valuing me as the main character in my own life and treating myself accordingly and and therefore having radical contact with life feeling like I'm taking part in life which feels very loving and feels like the kind of thing someone that has radical self-love would do it's a way of showing up in the world it's a way of feeling it's a way of bringing your full heart and self in radical connection with all that's going on in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs, the lows, and loving and trusting yourself through all of it because like, what else have we got? Yes, wow, Mm -hmm. what a beautiful way to put it. That is just Mm -hmm. the biggest yes to that I completely agree and and for me yeah when I see self-love I I have always in the past gone oh that's Mm. a bit fluffy that's a bit Mm. nothingy but but actually I've now come to the realization that self-love is is quite literally everything like it is if you don't have self-love you know as you were speaking about at the beginning like you don't really have anything because you just can't trust yourself you can't trust your decision making you can't Mm. you just don't enjoy because we live in our bodies all the time yeah if you're not enjoying being in that then you're not enjoying your life and Mm. and that's the biggest Mm. thing there is really so yeah yeah I think I've reframed in my mind to be like well no self-love is is really the most important thing that I have yeah Yeah, Um, the most fundamental absolutely and also I wanted to touch on something you just said about self-trust as well because Mm -hmm. in my head self-love and self-trust are so interlinked Mm -hmm. and I wondered if you could speak about yeah the connection between self-love and 
self-trust or trust in life and how Mm. one can follow on from the other yes definitely yeah I yeah I'm trying to think how to how to put it so I don't go around the houses but in my the way that I link it is seeing that the more that we love ourselves the more that we trust ourselves the more that we trust ourselves the more that we love ourselves so they're like very closely interlinked and this feels so important because we are brought up in a world, a society, a life that teaches us to look outside of ourselves for answers, for guidance, for what we want to do with our life, for what we even want, you know, from very early on. We're looking to our parents to go like, hi, how do you do life? And we follow that very closely, it's our mirror. Then we go to school and we are taught to listen to what the teacher says. What is the teacher's view on who we are, how academic or not or artistic, anything. Then we grow up and we're looking to our peers at school for, am I approved of? Should I be doing this? Do I fit in? Can I listen to this kind of music? Is that cool? We are constantly told that everyone else has the answers for how we should do things. And I think that once the shift comes, when we start going, wait a minute, um, I am in charge of what I want and want to experience. I think that that is where the self-trust peace starts to come in because we have been conditioned so far away from trusting ourselves, from trusting our instincts. And therefore, I think the journey of self-love is very closely interlinked with self-trust. Can I trust myself to make a decision? Can I trust myself? And it's such a journey because it's different from all that we've been taught before Mm. and it is yeah we've not been taught to love ourselves or trust ourselves so they're both woven together Mm. and I actually think that's a perfect way as well to sum up what it means to have radical self-love because it actually is Mm -hmm. quite radical and quite uncommon and going against the grain to go you know what I trust myself fully I'm I don't need answers outside of myself and and mm-hmm. I resonate with that so much you know a few years ago I desperately just wanted someone else to tell me yes. what to do yes. what the answer was what my purpose was what I was put here to do and it's taken me I mean I'm st- I'm still on the journey <laughs> massively of going mm-hmm. actually no yeah. trust yourself what do you think about this yeah. what's your inner truth and inner Uh, guides telling you Um, and that's also yeah fostered a lot of self-love so they're definitely sort of like a circle yes uh, intertwined like they can both lead to each other so that's beautiful Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. and then kind of my last couple of questions is what would you say to someone who is perhaps where you were many years ago and is looking for that first step is like I just don't want to feel like this anymore what would be your advice to them or even your advice to yourself 
at that age mm. experiencing that? Mm. Great question. What would be my advice? I would say, ironically, looking like having someone else support you to see yourself. Um, having someone else, whether that's a coach, a mentor, another human who holds up a mirror to you. So isn't for giving you answers or telling you what to do or even really giving you advice, but that anything you're going through, they hold up this mirror to you and they give you the space and they say, what do you think? How do you feel about that? And they, yeah, they they give you the space to come to your own answers and to come to your own conclusions because it is that is the piece that we're all, we haven't been taught how to do and that is why we come so far away from ourselves to the point where we're like I don't know who I am of course I don't know who my what my purpose is because I don't even know myself and so someone that can hold that space for you to say what if you did know what if you were just given a floor to let out what you truly think um, and how you truly feel you will find that you will come to that conclusion for yourself I believe that we all know what we need to do and what would be good for us and what we're all missing greatly is actually a space to explore Mm. so I would say that's the first step completely completely and that's such a beautiful way to put what coaching is really Mm -hmm. it's it's not about someone giving you advice or telling you the Mm -hmm. answers it is a mirror perfectly holding up a mirror for what you what you need what you need to guide yourself through Mm -hmm. and the coach is there to just kind of point you in roughly the right directions and ask the right questions yes so yeah and I think it it can be so difficult to be in your own head yeah you know we're in our heads seven days a week 24 hours a day and to step out of that and have someone else hold space for you Mm -hmm. is incredibly powerful I yeah. think, and not something that we get because as humans, when we share a problem, usually the other person wants to jump in with advice yeah. in general life. Yes. And that's what makes coaching so incredible, I think, is yeah. that they're not there to give advice. They're just there to guide and hold space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. beautiful. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I remember the power in a first coaching session that I had where she just asked, well, what do you want? And I was like, whoa, A, I've got no idea, and B, I don't think anyone's ever asked, actually. Um, Yeah, and it was just like, whoa, that one question, which seems so simple, but I was yeah. like, wait, you're asking me, and you're pausing <laughs> and holding some space for me to actually explore that? That's big. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's the power of coaching. Yeah. And on that note, my final question for you is what makes you feel zen in your life? Mm. Oh, I love that. What makes me feel zen? Gosh, it's it feels so cliche, but meditation, honestly. Even if I only do 10 minutes in the morning and I've set a timer, oh, that it 
keeps me like zen grounded it just helps me helps me do life helps me like realign <sighs> and super mm. relaxed it's like a little toolkit um yeah a little toolkit tool that i swear by um yeah and also being yeah. at a spa that just came up too i was like mm, that's super zen not that i go to those very often but i should do more yes and also that's a that's a beautiful self-love practice as well going to a spa and really pampering yourself like oh sometimes that is just what's needed so i feel that and meditation is a cliche for a reason because that's what it does it brings us back to zen i think in life you're i mean for people people won't be able to see my hand doing this but imagine like Mm. a really squiggly line and then i feel like in meditation it just brings you back to still (sighs) yes (laughs) the pendulum stops and you just settle so yeah I love that and how can people connect and work with you if they are intrigued and want to know more about you how can they reach you they can head over to my Instagram which is the main place I hang out right now which is at sophiefrench.co um and also from there my website is sophiefrench.co and I do a variety of things. There are small classes, workshops that people can take part in, such as tapping that I've talked about today. I've got a mirror work class that will be coming up in the next couple of months um, to really teach people in a really simple way. Also about tuning in with your intuition that's coming up soon. So there's these like classes and workshops that you can just dip into if you want to dive deeply with me on a topic. And then if you want to go a little bit deeper, there is options for working one-to-one together, um, whether that's in like a one-off session, whether that's over um, Voxer. So it's a real like back and forth support of having that consistent mirror over a month. or over longer term in a renaissance mentorship where you really learn how to come back to yourself, trust yourself and yeah, find your thing. Mm, all the things we've talked about today. Yes. I love that. And and I will put all of Sophie's information in the show notes. So go and nice. check her out. She's incredible. Thank you. And Jen. I think that's it. Thank you wow. so much, Sophie. Again, this has been wonderful. And I will see you next week, everyone, for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode left you feeling more zen, it would mean the absolute world to me if you went and gave it a review. It's the best way to get new people into the Gen Zen community and get even more amazing guests onto the show so we can have more juicy and expansive conversations. Thank you so much in advance and until next time, stay zen.